We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. How about I go ahead and address the larger than average elephant in the room? No, I have never coached the sport that you folks call football. And heck, you could fill two internets with what I don't know about football. <laughs> Hold on now. If I were to get fired from a job where I'm putting cleats in the trunk of my car. You got the boot for putting the boots in the boot. <laughs> I love that. You know what the happiest animal on earth is? It's a goldfish. You know why? No. It's got a 10-second memory. Be a goldfish, Sam. All right, welcome back to Big Screen Sports, the sports movie podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcast. I am your host, Kyle Banduho. It is week four of the Big Screen Sports Ted Lasser rewatch. And as always, I am joined by my co-host, Alex McDaniel. Alex, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. How are you? I am doing great. As always, just very ready to talk about this wonderful show that somehow gets better and better each episode. Before we dive in, Alex, tell us about Ain't Slayed Nobody, your other podcast. Um, I'm so bad at this every week. We need to, here's what we need to do. We need to like record <laughs> like a standard one, but it's not my voice. It's just one of those like monotone Siri type situations. Um, <laughs> but I- anyway, I'm also on another podcast called Ain't Slayed Nobody. It's a tabletop RPG podcast. It's really fun. It's like Dungeons and Dragons, but with comedy, and you can find us everywhere at Ain't Slayed Nobody. And it is a a podcast for SEC fans, correct? Yeah, because most of the guys are from Texas A&M, or they went to Texas A&M, rather, and so we all like to take jabs at each other for our respective schools and um, make a lot of, like, kind of inside baseball jokes, but... Yeah, so kind of SEC, then. Yeah, you don't have to care about the game itself to, I think get a kick out of it perfect well and it also if you're an sec fan a great new episode from phenom to the farm just dropped and by just dropped i mean today day of recording i mean last tuesday day of you listening to this i talked to former florida right-hander carson whitson about his decision to turn down two million dollars to go pitch for florida great stuff uh, a lot of sec content for uh, for the host of this podcast <laughs> this will eventually turn into like We'll just start talking about, you know, Ted Lasso episodes as SEC teams. I think we could do that. Ted Lasso as an SEC coach would be wonderful. Who is who is the best Ted Lasso fit in the SEC? Um, Man, you got me there. I wish I had had time to think about it. I don't really know if there is one. I would say before Gus left, Gus would probably be the closest in terms yeah. of just like a like a dad type sense of humor. Um. I think Ted would do well at Kentucky. Sure. I'd be into it. Yeah, I would. I'd, <laughs> that sounds so terrible. I'd watch Kentucky. And of <laughs> I, course, would, 
I would watch Kentucky more than once a year. If, Why if not? Ted, if Ted was coaching Kentucky. Well, <laughs> let's get into Ted Lasso episode four for the children. Rebecca hosts the team's annual charity benefit where Ted stages a reconciliation between Roy and Jamie. Alex, this is the first episode where we really get everyone in the same room. Yeah, I think that's probably one of the reasons why I love it so much is because it's really well done how everybody's attending the same event, but they still navigate these individual storylines as they're happening. Mm-hmm. And But it, it's cool that you get interactions with people that, that wouldn't normally happen. I, I point to Nate and Rebecca being in the same room. Is, you know th- Those aren't two people whose paths cross that often, clearly. What's funny is, and of course, like I've watched that episode countless times, it wasn't until I watched it to get ready for this that I noticed when they see each other at the benefit, she says, nice to meet you. <laughs> I had never noticed that before. One of my and, favorite lines, well, because he says something about like, nice to see you again. And she says, nice to meet you. <laughs> and, then, and then Nate responds right away with nice to meet you. I know. It's so like quick and sweet, but I had never caught it before. So It's wonderful. Well, for our opening questions, I only have one today. So I'm going to defer to you. I would like you to kick us off. What was the first um, event or the first time that you remember wearing a suit? Oh, the first time that I remember wearing a suit. Man, honestly, I, do, I really don't think it was till I was in college. Really? Um, I, went to, I went to a wedding the summer after my senior of high school. My best friend's sister got married, and I wore a suit. Like, it was so, it was like a shiny silver suit. Oh, my God, it was so bad. I can see it in my head. It was, <laughs> oh, it was such a bad suit, and I had such a bad haircut, and about I like I can see the picture in my head, just a, a terrible, terrible look. So yeah, I was I was freshly turned eighteen because before that, like in in high school, like I, I don't I rarely ever even wore like a collared shirt. Um, I was yeah. only at one wedding before that, and it was uh, my nanny got married when I was my my old aunt, nanny got married when I was like maybe seven or eight and I was the ring bearer but it was a medieval themed wedding because her and her husband <laughs> met at a renaissance fair and so I was in like a tunic that's a it's a wild box of stuff to unpack now when I, wow. when I think about it yeah no so that was the first wedding I ever went to uh I started with such a simple question and we got at the medieval wedding it's incredible. I know yeah went 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 way <laughs> off went way off so yes that was the first time I had ever worn a suit uh and, and honestly it probably fit just as bad as Nate's suit I was gonna ask that next did it fit well did you was the tailor involved or is this like an off the rack situation a hundred percent off the rack I don't <laughs> think I got a suit size like even because in college, like for athletic banquets and stuff, you had to, you know, wear like a shitty blazer you bought at Burlington that you're going to spill whiskey on later that night. Like I had <laughs> that. So I don't I don't think I got a tailored suit until shockingly recently. Nice. Well, at least you have one now. That's all that matters. That's yeah, that that's what that's what counts now. Um so I have I have one and it's kind of it's about the it's about the event itself. Um so you get to bid on any athlete for an hour of their time, and not like like horny Cheryl in this one, but you get any athlete, you get to bid $25,000, and you get them on the record for an hour. Any athlete, as a journalist, who are you taking? Any athlete. Yikes. Um, oh, there's so many, and I'm trying to pick one. Maybe Marshall Henderson? Oh, man, that's the most Ole Miss answer well, I know, and I was trying to get away from that because I it's not that I think he's the most fascinating person I could possibly interview, but the idea of like 
everything has to be on the record, that there's no chance he could be like, oh, don't say that. And he has to, if they had to answer all my questions, like if you couldn't pass on a question and everything was on the record, I just think he would have a lot of gems. That That's a really good point. The The everything on the record and not being able to pass, like getting the insight to, you know, the Marshall Henderson experience from Ole Miss or like, Anyone from those early 2000s Miami teams I would be into, like Santana Moss, even like Ken Dorsey, just you got to spill everything. I would be, I'd be super into that. Yeah, I was, I was trying to give you a better answer, but I don't think I I have mean, Marshall right Henderson now. is about as fun as possible. So. <laughs> That's really what I was thinking of. Like, if I'm going to spend that much money, I'm not really trying to do like an expose, so to speak. I just have a lot of questions <laughs> Like, so, like, what's your deal? Yeah, or any, I would honestly take any base, like, I mean, I guess Jose Canseco already did this, but, like, any baseball player who was, like, way juiced in the steroid era, just letting it fly, like, give me Luis Gonzalez or Brady Anderson or something like that. Like, let's just, let's air out some dirty laundry. I mean, if I'm going to spend 25 grand, I'm, I'm into that. Yeah, I could see that. So let's roll into best scene. As always, this one has no real bad moments. It's very tough to to not just list everything. I'm pretty I'm pretty sure everything I have on this list is just nearly everything in this episode. Um, starting with planning the fundraiser, and that's that's like it's a bunch of stuff right at the beginning of the because the episode starts with with Roy and Jamie fighting in the locker room, but then it goes to planning the the fundraiser where Rebecca picks the boring table, Coach Beard picks both chicken and steak, Ted does the rhyming thing about picking Nate, uh, <laughs> Ted getting Jamie and Roy to sit together, and Higgins having to solve the Robbie Williams problem. That is all in like a minute and a half. Yeah, I mean they set it up pretty well that you within yeah like within the first two minutes you know that. Even though they do this benefit for underprivileged children every year, this is the first year that Rebecca's having to do it all on her own. Um, you can tell that it's kind of a formal event because she's like out the window asking steak or chicken and who's your plus one. And she has all of those dresses in her office, like all these beautiful ball gowns, or not even ball gowns, but like formal dresses um, that she's got to pick from. And so again, they've just done a really good job at kind of setting up what to expect. And Robbie Williams is about the most British kind of musical <laughs> guest you can think of for this this random fundraiser. I know. And like, maybe I just don't understand, which admittedly, like, I've never really followed him very much. Is he still a big deal, like, in the UK? Or is he just, was he, is he such a classic, like, I don't know, what would be his, uh, the comparison in the States? I don't know. I don't know a ton about Robbie Williams just in general, but he's one of those people, if I'm not mistaken, he was wildly famous in the 90s, like upper echelon as probably as famous as you can get, especially in the UK. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess he'd be pretty big. Yeah. And it's a good combination of the pretty big name value of even people in the US would know who he is if you reference him on this show. But also it's not implausible that... You know, maybe he he's doing like charity fundraiser appearances now. That's like sure. what his career is. Yeah, that makes sense. So, uh, the next scene I have is, and it, this is a five second scene. It's just Roy walking into the red carpet saying, "No, no, fuck you, <laughs> fuck no." <laughs> that it's five seconds. It's perfect. It might be the most perfect five seconds of the entire show. Yeah, I I like. Um, I'm not saying this is the best scene, but I love when. Keely's on the red carpet and then Rebecca is trying to rush her along because she's just got to get inside and keep planning. 
And so you have Rebecca, who's wearing a dress that minutes earlier she told Ted, I don't think I can pull this off anymore, which is very sad because it's gorgeous and she looks amazing. Um, But you can tell she's very uncomfortable on the red carpet. She's uncomfortable for the photographers. And then I just think it's such a sweet moment. Keely kind of runs over and tells her, just put one foot in front of the other and make your hand into like a claw shape and put it on your hip. And it's the most flattering silhouette. And so she does that. And it's just such a wonderful, like, solidarity moment. We've already seen Keely and Rebecca start bonding um, on a personal level, but I thought that was just wonderful. And you can see Rebecca light up and feel good about herself and confident. And that's one of the last times you see that in the whole episode because she's scared to death. This episode really cements the Rebecca-Keely tandem moving forward in a couple ways. Like, it is a, it's clearly a power duo for the rest of the, the rest of the season. Yeah, which I'm all about. I think that's great. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, next scene I've got is Ted making Jamie and Roy hash it out, uh, where he the the mother's bathing suit joke, which is a an incredible Tedism. Uh, and he <laughs> he also says the thing about even Buzz and Woody got under each other's plastic. Knuckleheads have split our locker room in half, and when it comes to locker rooms, I like them just like my mother's bathing suits. I only want to see them in one piece. You hear? So we fixing this. Tell me what the biggest issue you got with each other. Go. He's a piece of shit. If his brain was on fire, I wouldn't piss in his ear. Well, hey, you don't need to be best friends to be great teammates. Think about Shaq and Kobe, right? Lennon and McCartney. Heck, even Woody and Buzz got under each other's plastic. Wasn't Woody made out of cloth? Yeah, I appreciate you, neighbor. Now's not the time. You know what all those dynamic duos had in common? Mutual respect. Y'all got to find some common ground. So who wants to get the ball rolling? I do. Nate, that's a very nice suit. I think you look chic. Thank you. It's actually only the second suit I've ever owned. The first one was my suit when I was a naked baby. So it's funny when Ted says it. I... Well, the term birthday suit would have helped oh, you a ton. There. Yeah. Which, yeah. Is, which is good. And I love Nate's like, <laughs> I thought Woody was made of cloth. <laughs> like, you know what, Nate? Now's not the time. <laughs> It's, so it's a tough little it's a tough little back and forth for Nate because Keely asks him the question about the suit and he tries to make the birthday suit joke but just doesn't land it. And I know with the term birthday suit would have helped you out a lot. <laughs> That's actually what I have for my best line. Is because he's so confident when he says it. The suit I wore when I was a naked baby. <laughs> <laughs> it's so creepy and Precious. I love Nate. My wife pointed this out that Nate is so awkward, but not in a creepy, uncomfortable way. Like you you don't feel uncomfortable with him around. It's more like he's just so preciously. There's there's uncomfortable, creepy, awkward, and there's precious awkward. And Nate yeah. is precious awkward. He's he's a sweet little angel that has to be protected at all costs. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And then gets to come out of his shell later in the season. Yeah. Uh, the next scene I've got, and it's kind of a combo of two, is when Rupert crashes the party. So he is just a grade-A piece of shit, the consummate scumlord. Now, I do hope you've all brought your checkbooks with you for our auction later, because you can all bid on our very own Richmond players. <laughs> Same as always, no hanky-panky unless the player signs a waiver. <laughs> Hello, darling. What a lovely surprise. Oh, weren't you expecting me? Only because you RSVP'd no. Well, one of the perks of being a wealthy good-for-nothing, sometimes my nights just 
magically free up. <laughs> Ooh, man. We hate Rupert. This is an anti-Rupert podcast. This show, the thing about it is there's so many good, likable characters, even characters like Roy who are super gruff, but you still like them. Like everyone is on such a heightened level of lovely human that when someone is legitimately terrible, it stands out. It's it's doubled, really, in, in how shitty he is. It's just magnified because he's surrounded by all this goodness. Well, I think, too, would you consider... Like I said, Rebecca was scared to death because it was her first time doing it totally alone. Um, You can tell up to this point she already feels like she doesn't stack up to Rupert in terms of likability, his charisma, everything else. So then, you know, you see him enter the room and she makes it a point to say, you know, he said, what did he say? You weren't expecting me. And she said, only because you RSVP'd no. And so he comes in and hijacks it because he wants to be the center of attention and he succeeds. Um, And I just, that scene is so hard to watch. There are very few scenes I think that are hard to watch, but all of them in the whole season involve her and Rupert or her dealing with something and that marriage, because you can see just how destroyed she is and it's hard, but it's good. And because of the complete shitbird he is, he comes, he, he tries to say, like, he comes off and like, this is, you know, like it was on a whim that he decided to show up. But because of, you know, the previous knowledge we have that Robbie Williams canceled, like, he was planning on this. He RSVP'd no and was planning on upstaging Rebecca. And he is just, it's, it's a simmering hatred you feel for Rupert the entire time he's on the screen. Yeah. And, you know, I think at this point, like, obviously he's caught on that Rebecca doesn't care about preserving the club. Like he takes Lasso's hiring as, you know, the ultimate screw you. Uh, I'm going to do whatever I have to do to take it apart. Even though he doesn't know that's her plan. I think he can sense that it's obviously not, um, a very civil separation by any point, by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but I think like, It's just, even so, it's hard to see her in that position because we're once again confronted with the fact that, yeah, she's trying to pull one over on everybody and just burn it to the ground, but she also has a lot of unresolved trauma. Um, that she's dealing with that that comes out later in the episode too. But I'll let yeah, you. Yeah, I mean, continue. we roll we roll right into that with when Ted and Rebecca talk outside, and we've up to this point we've seen Rebecca scorned, we've seen her, you know, very angry. We've we've seen the anger come through, but we've no one on this show is having a harder time emotionally than Rebecca. Like Ted is a fish out of water being, you know, being ridiculed. He's, he's obviously, and we're going to see him deal with, with family stuff next episode. Roy is grappling with age, the loss of talent. You know, everyone in the show is going through something. Rebecca has been emotionally wrecked. That conversation outside the, the fundraiser is, is one of the more, you know, heart-wrenching conversations that a a light comedy show can have. Yeah, and it's almost alarming the way that she fully opens up to Ted and that she allows herself to be vulnerable. Like, he goes outside to check on her. Once he sees her crying, I mean, she turns around and she's obviously upset. And she says, that man, he knows me. And I used to think his blunt honesty was noble rather than what it really is, which is the cruelest way of hiding his own insecurities. I mean, geez, that's like something you would tell a therapist or maybe that a therapist would tell you because it's so insightful and so honest. And I don't know if he, you know, he just caught her in a moment where 
she was ready to let her guard down with him, but it's easily the most vulnerable she's been with anybody um, all season. And the fact that she did it with him shows that he's obviously developed a relationship with her where there's trust. Um, But it's, you know, that line just gets me every time that man, he knows me because they were married for 12 years. And so the point she's making is he knows me well enough to know exactly how to break me. He knows where my spots are. He knows what, where my insecurities are. And even though she can acknowledge that he's just doing it to be an ass, it doesn't change the damage it did to her. She's now having to rewire her entire brain, every, her entire existence after a, a, an emotionally abusive 12-year marriage. Um, and that's not to be taken lightly. I mean, it's really easy to look at it as, oh, it's a bad divorce. Everybody's been through that, da-da-da. Well, just because everybody's been through something or a lot of people have been through something doesn't mean that it's not hard. Um, and I think like the way they portrayed divorce, a uh, kind of across the board, both with Rebecca and spoilers, won't say it, um, <laughs> with other characters, you see, um, it, just how many shades there are in something like this, but I don't know how, I don't think when I first watched this episode, I don't think I had a bad thought toward Rebecca after that because she just lays it all out there. Mm-hmm. And it's not only the the torment that he's causing her and it's that he is she's watching him come in and just be prince charming and so beloved and it's kind of it calls back to the conversation that her and keely had about how he's being portrayed in the in the paper and stuff like that and the same she sees this kind of same thing in person in that oh they just love him and she seeds the auction to him and he's you know it's so it's this constant frustration of he's he knows how to push my buttons he's hurt me deeply and also no one is really holding him at fault for that and it's a very she she talks about being i don't want to be alone and and talks about the feeling of being alone there's being alone in the relationship sense of that but also in that she she's kind of on this island of it seems like everyone else no one is really in her corner and he is still this this one you know beloved person despite his horrible treatment of her yeah, I mean, there's nothing more devastating in the world to, as a, just personally speaking, than to come out of something like that to survive a bad relationship, and then see everybody continue to treat the guy like nothing happened, even though even if it is made public that he hurt you, even if it is made public that he betrayed you, and because of his charisma or a million other excuses, you know, he's still can he's not considered innocent, but it's just more acceptable because he's a guy and he can make jokes. We talked about it last week with um, the Bill Clinton, Monica Lewinsky thing, you know, how it always seems to fall on what did the woman do wrong as opposed to um, why didn't he take responsibility for his actions? And she says that in the episode, there was that scene with her and Keely. Um, She said, everyone makes mistakes, but he's never had to pay for a single one of them or own up to a single one of them or something. So, and that's, yeah. And that's a hundred percent. He, he has the air of a person like that who really, he's just going to get by doing no wrong in his mind or, or not being held accountable in any way whatsoever. And even in this episode, he, he's still really not, um, he, you know, he gets not even a, he, he, he gets, I guess, found out in a way by Ted, but it's not, it's not anything that has any consequence to him. It's not anything he truly cares about. Uh, This whole episode is about heart-to-hearts because the next scene really is the heart-to-heart between Jamie and Roy. Probably the best 
Jamie is all season, like the most quote unquote likable he might be all season, you almost think he's going to be redeemed. Like at at that point, watching that for the first time, I was like, oh, he's actually going to turn the corner and this is going to be kind of the cliche sports movie thing where these guys come together for the good of the team. I like that it isn't that way though. Like I remember the first Yeah. The first time we all watched it and we saw that it's like, okay, it's kind of a breath of fresh air and kind of a little relaxing to see Jamie finally opening up, finally breaking down some of his walls. And the fact that he, after this episode, like he goes right back to being terrible. <laughs> it's not even, he doesn't even acknowledge it. It shows you he has the capacity to be kind. And we've talked about Jamie's moments in the past where you can tell he is just a scared little boy on the inside. And he's just trying to do right by his dad. Um, or what he thinks doing right by his dad is. But they finally have this moment where both of them are opening up to each other and it's kind of a theme in the episode, but the result of their vulnerability isn't great. Yeah. Unfortunately, Jamie's Jamie's kind of heel turn here lasts all of three minutes, maybe. Yeah. Cause <laughs> no. then it goes, then it goes to the auction and turns out he has, uh, he has another woman, woman bidding for him. And then, yep. uh, yeah. And then it just all goes to hell. And then that goes into Keely and Rebecca in the bathroom of a friendship is cemented. The tag team is there. Rebecca gives key, uh, gives uh, Keely the heads up that Jamie has an actress named Keely, uh, bidding on him. And it's, uh, you know, from there you're like, oh wait, Jamie's actually irredeemable. But also, Rebecca and Keeley, despite being a little different, are going to be this this friendship tag team that we're going to be able to get behind. Yeah, I really like. I mean, it's it's hard to watch. Again, it's another one that's uncomfortable because you can tell it it blindsides Keeley a little bit, even though she's trying to act like it doesn't. Um, and maybe it doesn't. I mean, she's a model as well. She understands how it is, but it's less about, you can tell she's not heartbroken over Jamie. She's upset. She's embarrassed that he would do that to her. And so that's kind of encouraging, I think, because if, if we had to go into this and she like really had deep feelings for Jamie, I think I would spend most of the time very frustrated with Keely because, you know, the fact that she does have this heightened awareness of, yeah, he's fun to date and all, but she doesn't cry over him once the entire time. Like she, navigates that whole thing seamlessly and i think we see that there and then she and um rebecca just have that really sweet moment where rebecca says she sees the first pictures come from the red carpet and she says i actually look all right for once which you know i'm sure you have the reaction a lot of people do we see this stunningly beautiful woman and it's like can't believe someone like that would say that she doesn't think she's attractive. Well, that's everybody, <laughs> you know? I mean, that's such a common thing of, oh, you look great. How could you think that? Well, we're really seeing all of her insecurities kind of open up in one episode. And it's like, wow, her the way she views herself is totally warped. And it's hard to watch. Mm-hmm, because again, she's been beaten down yeah. emotionally by by this man who is, you know, and then is suddenly is is flaunting all these much younger women in front of her. I, yeah. You're you're right on about it is good that we don't have to see Keely pine for Jamie. It's more of a it's it's more of a frustration of kind of like what am I doing with my life? Like why am I still involved with someone like this as opposed, you know, cuz 
there's the the classic TV or movie trope of like you just need to quit this this love interest like this person is bad for you but they're like oh, I can't quit them you know I'm, but it's it's not really that it's just she's just like why am I still doing this you're 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 right on it would not be it would not be fun if Keeley's love arc for the rest of the season is constantly being dragged back but I still have like kind of like the the Kate and Jack and Sawyer and Lost kind of thing. If we want to throw it back to the mid two thousands, I never um, watched Lost. Fair warning. I am, I, am, I, I Lost gets a bad rap because of the ending, but Lost was great TV. <laughs> um, it was on Netflix. It was a, it was a, it was a really good Netflix show. Like a, a good, you know, for someone to get into. But regardless, if you haven't seen Lost, everyone go give Lost a chance. It's it's not. Yeah, I enjoy it. Anyways. Next scene, uh, when Roy gets auctioned, which brings it back to the complete comedic point of this show and what this show does best, and really what what Brett Goldstein does best is just honestly like grouchy Roy when he's the no daiquiris, no pool, no hotel. <laughs> Say hello to Roy Kent. Granddad. And the highest bidder gets to spend the day in a swanky hotel by the pool drinking frozen daiquiris and soaking up the rain. No one said this. No daiquiris and no rays. But, um, it's not we a fucking pool leaver. We're not leaving SW14. I, I wish... I want to be as happy to win something as my life as Horny Cheryl was to win an hour of, of Grumpy Roy's time. <laughs> I know. She's precious, first of all, but... Um, yeah, it's typical Roy, of course, where he's like, he's putting himself through it because he knows he has to, but he doesn't want to actually risk any human interaction or anything that might force him to be um, less of a grump, which I think is kind of fun. This has been a running thing with the show of me saying like, oh, I would, you know, watch an entire season of Roy hanging out with, you know, hanging out with kids and doing trips to the school or whatever. I would watch an an offshoot episode that is just that hour that Roy spends with Cheryl and what that experience is like. I can't even imagine. It's He's one of those, and I realize this is a weird thing to say given how the season ends, but I can't imagine him dating anybody. Like, it's hard. Like, I think it's great how it all ends up, don't get me wrong, but his personality just kind of, it's not that it's such a turnoff, but it's, the wall is so well built, let's say that, (laughs) that it's really hard to imagine him being with somebody and being like affectionate and kind. Well, you think about how hard it was for him and for, for him to talk to Jamie and just even express what he was feeling about Jamie as a teammate and kind of what's going on and, and bring that, that great backstory about him with the, you know, the old teammate that he hated when he was a young player and stuff like that. Like think about, then think about shift that to Roy talking to women. Like you can probably count the number of times on one hand since Roy turned 13, that he has been outwardly vulnerable to someone of the opposite sex. Totally. Yeah. I I mean, there's no indication that he was ever in a serious relationship up to this point. Um, and, you know, of course, they get into that a little later, but like in what, one or two episodes. Um, but yeah, he's just, he has lived for soccer, which is why I think his bitterness about not being as good as he once was and just getting older is even more heightened. It's even more amplified because if your job is your entire life, then when you're not as good at your job, you consider that you're not as good as a person. Your worth goes down in your eyes. And obviously that's not true. But 
it's all he knows. And so for him to have to open up the possibility of even having a friendship that's worthwhile is kind of uh, hard for him. Yeah, yeah. It'd be really funny if the hour he spent with Cheryl was actually more of a therapy session and they just get there to that, <laughs> to wherever they meet up and Roy just starts opening up. And like 15 minutes in, Cheryl's just like, I didn't sign up for this. I know. And what's funny is I would say like as the season goes on, he does sort of have a therapy session a little bit in each episode, you know, where they go through different scenes or like different scenarios. And he talks about how he got into soccer. And then, of course, the whole thing with Keely and... Um, you know, by the end of it, he, I wouldn't say he's, you know, self-actualized, but he's certainly better off. <laughs> it just takes like, what, five more episodes and then he's like a, a decent person. This show is what, five hours in total, basically. Think of all the character arcs. It's crazy. that And, and, and development in that five. It's just, it's, it's incredible. Yeah. Truly, truly incredible piece of work. Uh, the next scene is when Ted comes through with Cam Cole, the street musician. Cam is a real musician. He is on Twitter at Mr. Cam Cole, actual real life musician. I just wanted to point that out. Everyone go give that guy a follow. He He has less than me and I don't have a lot. So everyone get on board with that. We're going to tag him on our next like promotion thing. That's a great (laughs) idea because the, the song itself is really good. I have something a little bit later about you know, Ted bringing in a street musician to replace Robbie Williams. But the the song itself slaps everyone's happy. Uh, The final scene I've got is just the the being accountable. When Keely hits Jamie with the being accountable matters. And right there in front of you is the difference between dating an adult and dating a child, personified in those two exchanges that Keely has with Jamie. And when Roy just comes up and says that her bidding on him and Barrett, like, made him feel like shit. Just awesome. Yeah, I mean, I... I was shocked when she said, I can't remember the actual line, but when she like immediately apologizes, you expect that to play out as her being stunned that she's being yelled at and then finding him after. That's how it always goes, right? It's like, oh, you confronted me. Now let me take a whole other scene to unpack this. She immediately apologizes and says, I shouldn't have done that. And he says, thanks. And it's it's completely adult and mature and normal. <laughs> it's just like a normal um, exchange. It's uncomfortable, but... It does show, um, you know, the the contrast for sure between her and Jamie and just, you know, kind of um, illustrates even more why it's ridiculous that they were together to begin with. Because right before that, she's having to tell Jamie, you don't even know what you're sorry for. And he says, what is, he says like, oh, you always tell me that. Like, that's not, a, that's not a sign that you guys have had very productive uh, d- arguments. Yeah. Exactly. And I mean, they talk about him the entire time. Anytime you see them interacting, they're always talking about him. So. And then Keely and Rebecca go grab the champagne and ride in the carriage, which seems like just a a great fucking time. It's the perfect ending. And what I love is right before they do that, you know, Rebecca's talking to Ted again outside. And this is after he's had his exchange with Rupert. And he just assures her, like, you think you're the only one who can see him for who he is, but you're not. And it, you can tell it, it relieves a little pressure. I mean, again, that's been her whole thing is like why the entire world adores him. I am less than. I'm not enough. And Ted reassures her, like, people can tell he's a dick, okay? People know this. It's just you're in these situations with high society people. You're in situations with people who have to suck up to him or, you know, or don't care enough to take care of you. But Ted is showing that he cares. Like, I know you're my boss, but I care. Here's my question. Like, do we think Ted and Rebecca have 
any sort of romantic future. So I spent this entire season thinking they were going to sleep together at some point. I was I was almost sure of it. it. The in a few episodes when I guess like her friend shows up, I guess that gets like complicated. But they there was some definite chemistry there, and that that'd be a good looking couple. Yeah, I mean obviously it's taboo because she's his boss, and so I wonder like if things would have to change drastically. I just. I feel like they have such a strong connection and there are just some looks that they give each other sometimes. Like It's hard not to think we're being set up to eventually get into that maybe in season two, but I could be wrong. This might just be wishful thinking. Because they haven't really set, there's really no one else that could take that role for that besides the, again, in the future, Rebecca, you know, whatever Rebecca does in that one episode in the future, not stepping on future episodes, but they don't really set her up with even anyone that there's potential with. Like, Rebecca's not going to... I mean, Higgins is married, but, like, Rebecca's not going out on a date with Higgins or Beard or Nate. There's Ted is really <laughs> the only character that we have introduced into the show who makes any sort of sense for Rebecca as far as a romantic partner, and they are two of the only eligible people. Yeah, and I think, too, like, they've... You know, the showmakers so far have shown us that we are here to invest in all the characters, right? So they wouldn't dive so deep into her story if we weren't supposed to care about her too. I do think there's an element here, and they even show that a little bit in this season, Keely as well, um, of them standing on their own two feet, you know? And I think, I, I hate a lot of times when movies seem to force romantic interests or shows seem to do that just because they think, oh, well, there's nothing going on. I might as well put these two together. I think if they found a way to make it make sense, fine. But I think a huge part of Rebecca's growth is learning how to stand on her own and learning how to um, define her own worth and not let somebody else define that for her. So I would be perfectly fine if she stayed single. Like, whatever. Single is great. I'm single. Love it. Freedom. Rebecca is a strong, independent woman who don't need no man, even if that man is Ted Lasso. But what this these interactions do show us is it... it it basically it, it's all but certain that she is not that her and Ted are not going to end the year as she is hoping that Ted will fail. It is it's yeah. all but guarantees that we can tell like after this, even though she doesn't, they don't really get into it in this episode. You know they can never go back after they've opened up to this level. Like it's not going to be as simple as her wanting to destroy him and the team. Mm-hmm. And there's the. Uh, the obvious Ted Lasso and Major League Parallel where that, you know, I, I've talked about earlier episodes and with Major League, there was an alternate ending they filmed where at the end, the owner, the the owner who's kind of the villain says, I, you know, actually did this all to motivate you guys and blah, blah, blah. And I've been rooting for you the whole time and test audiences absolutely hated it. So they scrapped it and left it the villain. This would have been the opposite in that if... You know, if Rebecca would, after all this, and Rebecca's still like, no, I just, I need Ted to fail, that I, I think we as audiences would have hit. It would have felt in, incredibly not genuine. There's no way that they can share these connections and, and, and do what they do in this episode and then not lead to a better working relationship and more of an understanding and, and you know, really just kind of a redemption act by Rebecca. Yeah, I mean, I would say Rupert's the only one on the show who truly has no redeeming moments, um, you know, nor should Not he, one. based on what's happened. And I like that they have that, um, but I'm glad they don't do it with more than one character. I think doing it with him is just smart anyway, because it shows 
the contrast between him and everybody else because even Jamie has redeeming moments. Um, but at the same time, I'm glad it's not as clear cut. Nothing is clear cut in this show. There's no hero or villain or, or anything. I mean, it's just people trying to figure themselves out and I love it. Mm-hmm. What is the best scene in this episode? I think Ted and Rebecca. I really do. Just the way, she, I mean, Hannah Waddingham, I said every single week, but she is brilliant. She just is. She's a wonderful actress. And I, I just, I'll never get over that line. That man, he knows me. It's so powerful. And she is, she deserves every award. <laughs> I love her so much. I think she's brilliant. So I'm going to go with that. I couldn't agree more. I, I think it's the combination of them talking outside the event, during the event, and then at, at the end of it. I think they're great. Honorable mention to Roy, those five seconds of Roy walking down the red carpet. Just clear, Brett Goldstein perfection. That that five-second scene should win him some sort of Emmy or some sort of award. Um, oh, no. Let's take a quick ad break and, and get back with the best joke. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right. Funniest one-liner, best under the radar joke. Uh, this one, I have fewer than I usually do. There's obviously a bunch of a bunch of excellent ones. What what sticks out to you? We already talked about uh, <laughs> Nate's failed birthday suit joke. Yeah, I th- I don't know if it's so much a great one-liner, but I do love the whole like. Obviously, he's taking Nate as his plus one, and they meet to to go to the event together. And Ted's like, because we never really got into like why he even made this suit joke to begin with. And Ted's like, are you one of those people who likes it when a friend tells you you have something in your teeth? And Nate's like, oh, yeah, of course. And Ted said, because uh, that suit does not fit you at all. And it was just really like, I love that because it, it shows that Ted's not afraid to hurt somebody's feelings potentially. Like he checked to make sure firsthand he didn't want to just hurt the guy, but then he takes him to get a new suit. And I love that. Um, and so I have, yeah, I mean, my favorite line is definitely Nate's thing about when I was wearing the suit of a naked baby. Um, but I'm trying to think the thing that Ted says actually during his scene with Rebecca, or he talked about riding and, one of those horse-drawn carriages and how like his wife broke his arm and he bruised his perineum. <laughs> like, it's so inappropriate for the mood, but it's, it's pretty good. I like the one where, uh, where Ted asked coach beard, you know what I'm thinking about? And coach beard right away, West side story. Uh, <laughs> so, Ted, I wonder what movie night, like when Ted throws on Netflix, 
British Netflix. Like if Ted has ever has a night off and he's like, I'm going to find a movie to watch because Ted has referenced West Side Story. He's referenced all that jazz. I bet like I wonder if Ted Lasso is on Letterboxd. I bet I bet he's got some some really good takes on Letterboxd. I it's funny how we slowly unravel him. You know, he's obviously well read. He has an incredible understanding of just general pop culture. Um, but but even before his time, really. So he's got this very classic view, just like, you know, West Side Story, movie musicals, things like that. I would think if he has a night off, he's probably watching the Great British Bake Off. Is that what it's called? The British Baking Show? Yes, um, the Great... the great. I think it's the... I think in America they call it... I don't know. I should know that. I've watched almost every season of The Great British yeah, Baking Show. Yeah, it doesn't show. matter. It's that it's show with the Brits and their bacon stuff. I'm... Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what he's watching. I don't know if he... But he's just so knowledgeable. And, you know, later in the season, like, when his wife comes to visit, she says that. Like, he, how he just loves being taught. He loves learning about different things. Because he's curious. So one of your your former colleague, Spencer Hall, one of the things that I think makes him so engaging is he has just this random knowledge of so many different little niches of pop culture that he can just recall from anywhere. It's just, it's just what makes him so entertaining. I feel like Ted Lasso has a lot of that in him in that he's got... He he's just got like he's all over the place with stuff he knows, but it always kind of like surprises you. And like the the writing of the, you know, the randomly, you know what I'm thinking with Jamie and Roy, you know, not getting along. You know what I'm thinking about West Side Story and, you know, and, and he goes into this diatribe kind of about West Side Story, and the actual plot of it and the the stabbing and stuff like that. Like I, I, I like how just well versed Ted Lasso is in so many things. Yeah, and I love that we brought Spencer into this because I think there are a lot of similarities between him and Ted now that I think about it. I'll have to um, DM him when we finish this and be like, you got to listen next week because we talk about you. But yeah, and you know, I mean, Spencer's whole thing too is like he went to law school. Like, really, a lot of those people who kind of founded SB Nation ended up at Banner Society and shut down full cast. Like, they all came from very learned backgrounds and wanted to write about sports. They wanted to make it fun. And so I think that kind of, I think it's good to be well-rounded. I think it can benefit you in a lot of ways. Um, Well, Ted Lasso doesn't come across as, there's a certain stereotype of college football coach. Like you think of like Will Muschamp. And like, I've heard that Will Muschamp is much different out of press conference than in press conference. But Will Muschamp seems like the guy who just, goes all he talks about in his life is football there's just that kind of stereotype and Ted Lasso doesn't seem like that kind of guy at all like it's very reasonable to think that Ted Lasso before he got into coaching had a, had maybe other ideas had thought about doing other things like it doesn't seem like it seems like Ted just loves to coach and he talks about that with Trent in the you know in the previous episode about he just found something he loves to do but it doesn't it's not all consuming which is a very refreshing thing to see when we think about we talked about what Ted would be like and last chance you and some of those last chance you football coaches like that is the only thing in their life yeah I mean and I I get it. Like if somebody's paying me millions of dollars a year to do something, okay, I'll make it my life if that's what you need me to do. I don't think it's necessarily um, something that is a flaw per se, but, you know, Ted isn't trying to win. I mean, it's nice to win. Don't get me wrong. And he, the way he, we learned that the way he coaches leads to winning because of the way he coaches and not so much being a tyrant, but the way that he invests in people. And I think that has a lot to do with it. Like he enjoys 
um, coaching, obviously, if he's willing to take this job. But I, he's the most well-rounded person on the show and the most like self-aware when it comes to who he is as a person and what defines him and where his worth comes from. And, and he makes that very clear early on, which is why I think like this episode in particular, he's not really the star in it. Like, he's definitely there. He definitely sets up the foundation. But this episode, more than most others, is really about everybody else and not him. Mm -hmm. And someone actually a, a line I like that I need to mention someone else someone who who likes to win is coach beard who put the game before the dame. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I love that the chess thing is so strange. But even coach beard, he's very similar to what we were just talking about. Like he he's in a chest in the last episode, you know, they made that joke about him being like state chess champs in Illinois or something. And then all of a sudden we see Beard with like a romantic interest. He's got a date. This is wonderful. And no, even with chess, he's so focused on winning and playing that he can't see past it. I need someone desperately, someone who's good at video editing and stuff to do a mashup of Coach Beard doing chess and, and scenes from the Queen's Gambit. I would, <laughs> I would, that is very much my shit. I would love a video like that. I would just like to see them play. Just Anya Taylor-Joy and Coach Beard just, just going one-on-one -on -one yeah, playing chess like, i would love it probably because like i i don't play chess but that show was so good on its own that i didn't have to know very similar to this i didn't have to know the rules of the game to enjoy it i'd watch i'm sure well speaking of rules of the game the for talking about the the sports action in the show there's obviously there's not a, a really much soccer action at all they they come in at halftime they're losing the game there's a little bit of practice but other than that nothing but forcing opposite forces to hash it out is a great sports plot line and, and a realistic aspect that happens on real teams if you if you have two you know teammates two two leaders who are butting heads and and ted having the kind of this you know making them break bread at this event it's one of the only super cliche sports movie tropes the show uses but it is somehow more effective just because of how good the show is and, and how great the writing is and the fact that it really just doesn't work it seems to work and then jamie reverts back to being a complete fucking shithead like it, it's a very <laughs> i i love that that they took that aspect but it wasn't like you know like remember the titans obviously butting heads for different reasons but like you know hey we you know we get along now and everything's perfect and we're brothers it's like you know jamie and, and roy have this real conversation about the perspectives they're coming from and and really have to come together and and talk about how they're going to coexist on a team and it seems to go well and then you know it doesn't but it's it's really because sometimes that doesn't happen sometimes your stars just hate each other yeah and i i do think it's a strong storyline. I mean, especially after the, the last episode, Roy has accepted his role as like the leader of the team, the guy who's going to protect everybody else. So the first thing we see is him saying, you're going to stop being mean. Like you're going to stop being a prick to everybody. And Jamie's not a leader in any sense. He's just the best athlete on the team, but he thinks that should give him the right to um, not be questioned and not be held accountable for anything. So it's yeah, I mean it's interesting for sure, but it's not a lasting reconciliation. <laughs> no, <laughs> so. but uh <laughs> just some some uh follow up from Roy's headbutt 
in episode three when Nate, when Nate goes to what does he what does he grab a martini and then he zips it spits back into it and then someone picks it up and yes. the two guy the the guy that that Roy headbutted is there to watch him but that that's just another classic Nate moment that is so so awkward and so precious. Oh my god! Thank you. Oh that. <laughs> look, look, guys, this is a brand new suit. Rather than messing with me tonight, can you just get me two times tomorrow? Why should we not allowed anymore? He fucking headbutted me. I'm still dizzy after time. Doctors told me not to drink. I know. Bless his heart. He's probably never had alcohol in his life. Oh no, no. I don't. I don't <laughs> think. I don't think Nate's much of a drinker. Um, what else worked in that? This one that we haven't haven't gone into. We have not commented on Jamie going shirtless under the suit, which Jamie is a perfectly crafted carrier character, just from top to bottom. Yeah. So what bothered me about that scene more than anything, aside from the fact we know what to expect from him. So he's wearing a suit. He's complaining about how he doesn't like it. And then he takes the shirt off and puts the jacket back on, so he's got his bare torso underneath. What bothers me is him saying, I know style and fashion. His girlfriend is a model. Not only that, we can tell she's savvy when it comes to branding. She says to him, you will get more endorsements when you embrace high fashion. And it's just so insulting, I think, to Keely for him to be like, no, I don't trust your opinion. I'm going to do this, and I'm going to tell you that I know it looks better. Not even He didn't even stand behind the whole, this is just more me thing. He could have just left it there. But he's like, I know fashion and style. Come on, get out of here. He's just a classic, terrible boyfriend. Jamie doesn't seem like someone who has taken advice from anyone in a very long time. Probably yeah. since since the first time he got on to a soccer pitch and discovered that he was the best player on the team. I feel like that was the last time that Jamie took any advice about anything. Oh, yeah. He doesn't care about anybody else's opinion, clearly. And it's, it's really interesting... The concept of the, I guess Jamie is on loan to AFC Richmond. Like he is, he's essentially, I I don't, I don't fully get how that system works, but essentially Jamie is not good enough or is not, would not be a mainstay on the other team. So they're loaning him to AFC Richmond so he can play a lot. So he's kind of like shit don't stink or like big fish in a small pond. It's very, and I wonder if we'll get a little bit more into this in season two, but Jamie when he is not the best, you know, the best player on the team. Yeah, I mean, I think and we even see that in the last episode, which I won't go into that, but but you see him being a little humbled even after that game, like with his dad and then Ted giving him the note. You can kind of tell like he's in a different situation, but after he gets um after he he's he's with Man City, right? Did I make that I, up? I think so. <laughs> I'm such an expert. You could, have, you could have said anything like Lubervitch Royal, and I'd <laughs> been like, yeah, that's, that sounds right. Um, but even, you know, we'll go over that in future episodes. Even after he moves back to that team, um, you see him suddenly being unsure of himself. So, yeah, I think this is something we'll dive into a lot more. Maybe he'll have some redeeming moments. Do I think he'll ever be completely fixed? No, because then he wouldn't be interesting. If he becomes nice... He's not interesting anymore. <laughs> so, he instantly becomes a far less compelling character. Yeah, so I think he'll probably always have that clueless ego about him, but I do think they have 
big plans for him in the future because he's definitely cemented as one of the main characters. For the first time since we've started doing the show, I actually have something that, that might not work. Okay. If you're expecting to see Robbie Williams or any internationally famous musician, even if you're not a huge fan, because like I doubt, like think about Sam. Sam is probably not a huge Robbie Williams fan, but probably knows who Robbie Williams is. Sure. I am not sure a, a good song from a street musician would turn the tide that quickly. If these people have just found out that Robbie Williams is no longer performing, but here's the street musician. I think there would be a, I think there would at least, even if he is amazing, I think there would at least be kind of a three, four song kind of uh, testing the waters kind of thing that maybe he could win that crowd. But I, I think he would be working against too much to just turn it into an absolute rager, you know, two minutes after they found out that international pop icon Robbie Williams is no longer attending. Yeah, like I, I agree with that. I haven't really thought about it in the past. I mean, Cam is obviously cool and his song is very like Black Keys-esque. But yeah, I guess that is a good point. And also, if you have a star like that, there's going to be more than just him showing up at your event. There's got to be some like pre-planning and um, security and all kinds of stuff. And they just, you know, they never really get into those details. And I'm fine with that. Yeah, you got to have a security detail there to stop horny Cheryl from going on in. Because that that probably was the main prize is her getting some one-on-one time with Robbie Williams. (laughs) That's true. And again, they just needed a device to show how spiteful Rupert could be. Um, And I think that was a good one for Mm -hmm. that situation. So for our most perfect Ted moment, I think... We we really kind of touched on it in that it's it's him talking to Rebecca. I think it'd be hard for anything to compete with that. Although uh, when he buys Nate a suit is great, but I have it. There's a a tiny a real tiny moment, and it's after they find out that Robbie Williams is not coming, and Higgins hasn't been able to get someone. And when he he tells uh, he tells Higgins he's like when Ted has the idea, he remembers the street musician. He tells Higgins, you know, he's coming with him, and Higgins is kind of apprehensive. And Ted's just like, I need the best. It's just a quick little bit of confidence that gives Higgins that boost to go help. Like, it's not like I'm just having to tag along. It's like, he needs me. It, Ted is so good, and the show is so good about it's just, and it's something, it's kind of like what we talked about last time, and that the show just makes you want to communicate better. And that Ted not only is just like, hey, I need you to come help me, it's, I need you because of who you are. And that you're good at something and this is going to be something that that we go do and I can't do without you. And it's such a small little moment, but it speaks so much to Ted's character. Oh, yeah. And I think, you know, that describes so many of us so well, especially in work environments where if you work in a competitive field, everybody's kind of trying to get on top somehow. So really everyone you work with is your competition. Um and it's hard. And again, it's a matter of your own worth. And if you if you see your job as the only valuable thing about you, then everything bad that happens with your job is a slight against you, you know, as a person. And that's really hard to get over. So we spend most of our lives working, right? Um, and or at least working towards something in school. And I, you know, I struggle with it all the time. I think I'm much better about it now. But it took the pandemic for me to finally be good about it. It took like company-wide layoffs 
and me spending a summer wondering if I was going to have a job by summer's end to really confront that kind of mentality. And I don't know if, if you've been in similar situations before, but I think um, in a creative field, especially if you're not creating, what are you doing? Um, and so, yeah, I think it's hard. And I think it's something that we all kind of deal with where we just want to be seen sometimes. We just want somebody to know that that we're in the room. And I think that scene, that little exchange kind of did that for Higgins. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the thing, just doing any sort of content and like putting it on a personal thing, like putting out a podcast every week or anytime like you write an article, you throw it out to this ether and you have no idea if it's, if it's shit or not. And that's just any little bit of any little bit of positive, positive reinforcement is a, you know, it's a, it's a real thing. Like it, it really truly can change the tide and how you feel about yourself and how you feel about your work. And it's, it's Ted's greatest quality as a coach because he's there to find the positive in everybody, except for Rupert, who even Ted knows sucks ass. Like Ted would not, <laughs> Ted would not gas up Rupert. No, never. Did you have a, a good British culture versus American culture joke? Not really. I just, I'm baffled and annoyed with when Rupert sees Ted and says like, howdy partner. Like, is that really what they all think of all Is Americans? Is that really what you people think of us? I mean, a good deal of us are, are Southern, you know, but it's just, um, it's funny because it's like, and I've never been to the UK, so I, I, I really wouldn't know. Um, but I just wonder if that's kind of how they see all of us, just a bunch of bumpkins. Maybe so. I I wouldn't blame them, but it, yeah, we're, I would we're a lot more we're a lot more than that. I actually really like that the show isn't doing all these Ted's a fish out of water layups. Uh, they have the thing in this one where uh, where Cam, the musician, is, is struggling to like, get his guitar tuned up or something. I don't know what musicians do, but he says bollocks and Ted just like very authentically. What does that mean? Uh, <laughs> like, that stuff's funny, but the the commercials were so much about you know the complete fish out of water scenario and ties and Ted not knowing the rules and stuff. And it would be kind of a it, it would kind of cheapen the great writing of the show if they did all these layup you know jokes because the show honestly is so much better than that. Like I I could write you know so so British to American an American guy not understanding British culture jokes if I went over to the UK. So. It's, uh, I, I think it's honestly good that they're not really peppering us with this. It's like one little thing each episode, like the big piece of mini wheats or something like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's so, yeah, they don't, they don't hit you over the head with it. And I think it's part of what makes it really good. Yeah. Yet another competitive episode for the Lenny Harris pinch hitter award for best supporting character. I would just like to throw out, uh, Susan Tracy as horny Cheryl Barnaby. You are so S into horny Cheryl. Stand out performance. But this lady, like she doesn't even have an, she doesn't even have a picture on IMDb. I need to know, <laughs> I need to know how this happened and like what the, she was born in 1945 and she like, I need to know who <laughs> I, I, I need to know. So, so like, okay, so Susan, we need you to come in and, and play this role of a woman who is just trying to spend extraordinarily amounts, extraordinary amounts of money to, uh, to get some good private time with these hot young soccer players. Do you think he can do that for us, Susan? And she just, she went for it. Oh, shit. Yeah, another reason shirts exist. <laughs> I wish I was that ice cube. Hmm? I will be bidding for a night with you. Oh, <laughs> thanks, love. Uh, yeah, it's um, it's just a date, though. It's not a whole night. 
We'll see. <laughs> she absolutely went for it. It's the only. It's the only show. It's the only episode she's in. She's great. Uh, she is not my pick, but she is. She is a, a great. A great bit of the show. <laughs> All of that just to say she is not my pick. I just wanted to commend her. I think. I think for this one, it is between Juno Temple as Keely and Hannah Waddingham as Rebecca. Yeah, I think both of them as a duo get this one. I I agree. Um, they're they're both wonderful. It it cements that friendship. It is it is everything we need, and it's we've got a lot to look forward to with them. Uh, the big chill moment, the big emotional moment of this episode. Uh, there, it, mine is about two hugs. The the nominees I have are two hugs. There's the Ted and Rebecca hugging outside the event. Um, you know it, when he's you know. When when he's kind of um, you know talking to her in, during the fundraiser, but then also Nate thanking and hugging Roy even after he gets up to Roy and chickens out first with the hug and then gives it to him. Yeah, that was really sweet. I hate having the mom voice. I slip into the mom voice when I talk about Nate. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Nate is everyone's son. He's so son. sweet. I know he really is. You just want to nurture him. And you get another. Um, what is it? The uh, where Ted. Pulling off another layer of the onion that is Nate or something yes. like that. Another, another thing learning about Nate. He really, like, he, Ted is really kind of a father figure to Nate. It's, uh, Ted, Nate is kind of an, an avatar for, honestly, for, for Ted's son in a way, when you, when you think about it, when you kind of unpack it like that. Yeah, and I think, you know, you're a parent, you get this. When you're not with your kids in any situation, even if it's just being at work, that those are the times you realize how much of you has really become a parent because you don't have to be with your kid when you do that. And I always, you know, my friends will make fun of me because I'll get really worried about them. Be like, have you eaten? <laughs> do you need? And the truth is, I've always been that way. I was that way long before I became a mom. But it's more natural to me now to naturally try to like, even to my detriment, I would say, to try to overly nurture, take care of people I care about because that's what I'm so used to doing all the time. And I think it's easy to project um, that role onto other people. Mm-hmm. And this show could have gotten even more emotional, even not, not a tough watch, but, a especially for parents, like an even sadder watch watching Ted deal with what I, I'm sure that character is dealing with some sort of parental guilt. Um, well, of they, course. Mm-hmm. And they, they don't really get into that, but it's very apparent how much he misses his, his wife and son and what this move has meant for him. And he, you know, part of it is, is trying to save his marriage, but, um, I'm honestly, I don't know if I could emotionally handle Ted Lasso dealing with parental guilt. Yeah, I mean, we have been given clues up to this point about the state of his marriage, which is not good. Um, we can tell every time he calls, he's kind of walking on eggshells. He, he's catching himself when he says love. He changes it to miss. He's trying not to upset her. And so, his wife, I mean. And so you you never really, until we confront that directly in the next episode... You just know something's very wrong, and you don't know when they're going to fully explore that. But when they do, God, <laughs> it's going to be such an emotional podcast. I might cry the whole time. Well, that that is coming up next week. Uh, rate this one scale of one to five biscuits. Um, let's let's be original and go with five. <laughs> <laughs> they're all going to get five out of me it's, anyway. We. You, um, we were kind of texting about this when you did your rewatch of this episode. That it, it's crazy how uh, how good the show is at building off of each episode, and each yeah. episode just getting better and better and better. It's like 
they're you know they're building this perfect pyramid and you know even even the best shows like i just finished mayor of east town i I loved mayor of east town but even you know there was one mayor of east town episode that i didn't think was just on on the same level as the others but this show just just gets better and better and better and just builds on these character developments and these arcs and 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 all these different aspects and everything improves and it's it's fucking stunning how did they make this show about a tv commercial (laughs) that's the unspoken question that we keep asking ourselves but um and we have to give it up to olivia wilde because he jason sudeikis has said multiple times she's the one who said, you have so much fun with that character, go make a show out of it. And I can't remember which award ceremony it was because God knows he dominated all of them, but it was when he won Best Actor and he said in his acceptance speech, Olivia, Olivia you were right. And, so, you know, got to leave it to a woman. We we really, <laughs> we do, we owe her. Uh, we've got a heater of an episode coming next week. Uh, the Ted's wife and kid coming to visit. Alex... As always, this was a pleasure. Tell the folks again where they can follow you. Uh, you can follow me pretty much everywhere at Alex McDaniel um, or follow my other podcast at Ain't Slade. And if you enjoyed this episode of the Big Screen Sports Ted Lasso Rewatch, remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcast, rate and leave a review on Apple Podcasts because those like that make that be your your way of giving us some Ted Lasso positive reinforcement. A nice a nice five star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Also, if you're a baseball fan, check out my interview series from Phenom to the Farm that comes at you every other Tuesday, brought to you by Baseball America. And we will be back with episode five of the Ted Lasso Rewatch on Monday. Thanks for listening. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.